0: Welcome everyone, this is Michael Blue, and you've connected to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, the podcast, but we are cultivating makers and shapers of culture. Prepare for a riveting time in the principles and practices of the King and of His Kingdom. You are about to be charged, challenged, and changed. I know you're ready, let's go. Listen, let us pray together, and then we will move into our time of sharing. Father, we thank you that you have brought us together one more time. You've allowed us to have a moment in your presence and a moment in your word that will enrich us and energize us, propelling us into divine purpose and destiny. I ask that you would guide us now. Your word said that if any of us like wisdom, we should ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. We acknowledge, Lord, that we like wisdom and we trust you to grant it to us in Jesus' precious name. You said wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom and all by getting get understanding. You said, Buy the truth and sell it not. Help us to be willing to pay whatever price is necessary to gain truth let us make whatever sacrifice is appropriate to gain truth and then let us not sell it or compromise it at any cost we thank you for it now and we praise you for your many blessings i pray on e- uh, for each and on behalf of each of these men and women who are professionals who are striving to fulfill and execute and perform that you will minister to them and that you supply every need, every need in every area of their lives. Give them the spirit of counsel. Give them the spirit of might. Give the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Let it rest upon each of us. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. The kingdom of God. And hear me well if you if you can, Uh, the kingdom of God is when we say, when I say, uh, God bless you, Bishop Knight. When I say kingdom of God, I'm talking about reality as God established it or as God prescribed it and the corresponding ideology that describes it. The kingdom of God is reality as God established it. And then the message of the kingdom of God is the ideology that corresponds to that reality. You know, a worldview. Worldview is that. Governing perspective, that governing lens that determines how we see experience, perceive, and interpret the world round about us. The worldview of an individual is informed by his or her sense of reality. What defines reality? What defines reality? What determines reality? And then once I'm sure as to what determines or defines reality, then the next is, how do I develop a system of thought and a system even of knowledge that describes reality as it has been defined and determined. And we who are Christians believe that the most accurate view of reality is what is called the Christian worldview or a kingdom of God paradigm. What is your governing ideology would be the question. What informs your sense of reality? What Here it is. What set of ideas helps you to make sense of the world? Why is the world as it is? Why is the world as it is? Where are we headed? As individuals and as nations, where are we headed? Where is our world headed? Where is our civilization headed? The thing that informs that is your worldview. Your sense of reality and the ideology that that corresponds to that reality. Pastor Scott, bless you, sir. Good to see you. All right. I want you to think about that. As a matter of fact, um, there are a couple terms, both beginning with the word meta, um, which is a term that has to do with all encompassing and, um, beyond, above, and beyond. Um, There is the metacognition. Metacognition is thinking about thinking. When we engage in metacognition, we are thinking about our thinking. We step back and reflect. All right? And then there is the meta um narrative the meta narrative it's the it's the big story it's the story capital s in which all the other stories are are interwoven And into which, you know, um, there's some people who refer to history, lowercase h-i-s-t-o-r-y, stating that in order for history to be truly appreciated, history has to be understood as his, capital H-I-S hyphen, story. That history, to be properly understood, must be viewed through the lens of his story, God's story. So the metacognition is thinking about our thinking. The meta narrative is the story behind or underlying the story, and um, we want to make sure that that as believers, the story of God, or God's story of His creation, that that story is our meta narrative. Listen to me. The, I think it's called the 1619 Project. I think it's called. It is a retelling of American history. And it is a retelling that suggests, at least in part, that slavery and its economic impact is behind much of what happened where American history is concerned. So in other words, the opp- I said slavery, the oppression of what we would call minorities or people of color, that it is, if not the, a critical factor in the meta narrative of America. That's what that 1619 project suggests. I'm not telling you that's accurate. I'm telling you that's what it suggests. And the reason why I use that as an example many people are angry about that book whereas many people are celebrating that 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 work because they question its they question its accuracy or they champion its accuracy story behind the story almost all thinking people have a sense of a story behind the story In other words, when we look at all the crime that's going on, all the the, um, gun violence that's going on, that's the story. But there are many of us who believe that there is a story behind the gun violence that has to do with the breakdown of the family, that has to do with the prevalence of poverty, but even more important than that, has to do with the forsaking of God and of faith in God. I believe that that is the meta-narrative with regard to a lot of what we see on the streets. The story behind the story is that we've forsaken God and we have forsaken what God gave us as structure for our lives, such as family. And such as freedom and liberty that would alleviate oppression, <clears throat> oppression, and poverty. I'm talking about the meta-narrative. Okay, I, I know you didn't necessarily come for that, but 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 here's what you did come for. You came for the fact that your story has a meta-narrative. Your story is a part of a bigger, compelling narrative. Your life is not merely a blip on the radar screen of eternity. You are an integral part of the story that God is telling. But if you don't know God, if you don't know the ways of God, if you don't know the will of God, if you don't know the plan of God, then you'll be disoriented because you don't know the story behind the story. One of the most powerful kingdom professionals profiled in the scripture is Joseph, the son of Jacob. Remember the 11th son of of Jacob. And he gives us an example of what happens when we understand the meta-narrative. It says to Barksdale, thank you. Thank you for helping me. Listen, Joseph is the quintessential kingdom professional with the exception, of course, of Jesus himself, but Old Testament. And Joseph gives us a glimpse of what it means to know the meta-narrative. His brothers, after his uh, father died even before they regretted what they had done to joseph and the bible says that they were full of grief and not only that but full of fear because joseph can he can we can wear them out if he chooses to do so now because he's in a place of great power so you can imagine at least that they were in great fear but the bible says that joseph said don't you be afraid Because it was not you that sent me here, but God. Oh, you've you've preached this. You've danced to this. He told his brothers, be encouraged because it was not you who sent me here, but God. Then he said this, you meant it. He's talking about the story. That's what they're concerned about, the story. You meant it for evil. He said, but God was writing a story behind the story. God is the author of the meta-narrative. And those places where he's not the author, he's the editor. (laughs) Because he's not the author of evil, of moral evil. But he edits in such a way that even the wrath of men, the Bible says, shall praise him. He is in control of the meta-narrative. That's what Joseph said. You know the narrative, but I'm showing you the meta-narrative. You know the story, but I'm going to tell you there's a story behind this story. And the prevalence of the story behind the story shaped the story in such a way that even what you intended to do, you couldn't do it in full. I think that's wonderful, don't you? And And how reassuring it is, how reassuring it is that God has the last and ultimate say. Amen. All right. One could really get excited right through there. Don't you agree? (laughs) My, 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 my. Our, our lesson, our, our discussion has been knowing your assignment, knowing your assignment. You've seen the banner that we're using. What is my life assignment? We're talking about the assignment that God has associated with your life the assignment that God has associated with your life. And if you don't know that God is the author and editor of the meta-narrative, if you don't even know there exists a meta-narrative, then when the hard places come in your life, you can can, uh, despair. And when the high places occur in your life, you can think it's all about yourself. Neither is the case. Sister Lakeisha Ransom Sanders, good to see you. So let's let's go back to where we've been. I thought we had a great um, conversation in the first session. Uh, number one, to know my assignment I need to know my sender. I need to know my sender. I need to know that, again, I'm here on assignment, that there's a story behind my story. Excuse me. Number two, to know my assignment, I need to know myself. Self-awareness is a critical aspect of um, successful and wholesome living. Bishop Keyes, yes, sir. Did you hear what I said? I said, self-awareness is a key to successful and healthy living. The self that you are, no one else is. Think about that for a moment. The self that you are, no one else is. No one else shares, no one shares your identity. You are you by yourself. There are in excess of 7 billion people on this planet, if I heard the last count and retained it correctly. And yet, amazingly, each individual has a sense of consciousness that is distinct He or she is a distinct self-conscious being that no one else is. That's astounding. And here's what's even more astounding. Behind them, there is a God who uniquely, fully, completely engineered each one of those selves that they are distinct one from another mine. One of my favorite verses on this topic of all of the word of God is Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 8. It reads, the wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way. One of the greatest levels of wisdom that a person can have is for him or for her to understand himself or herself. And you really cannot come at that understanding without the knowledge of God. I've said it so many times, uh, but I'll say it again that to study God is to learn oneself, not because you or I, not because we're God, but because we were created in his image and after his life. So, to know my assignment, then is to know my my, my sender, to know. My assignment is to know myself. Thirdly, to know my assignment, I must know my superior. My superior. And and to to know my superior is within the context of system. As we were talking this morning, the first session, we realized that this item number three that says know my superior could also be framed or stated as know my system. Because Now, John the Baptist, who is the character study that we're using, yes, now Jesus, who is his superior, is naturally superior to John because he is God. But in every other case among human beings, no human being is superior or inferior to another human being naturally. We are all equal naturally. That is, by nature, we have the same human nature. Sanders, you sound like you're in my classroom again. You're absolutely right. It is mind-boggling. It's amazing. and, And that's why we have to honor and stand in awe of a God who could be that precise and yet that comprehensive. Okay? We are, as human beings, all equal. So when we start talking about knowing one's superior, we're talking about knowing the system in which we're called to operate. Because the superiority, inferiority resides in the system, not in the person, resides in the office, not in the individual. No one is inherently superior or inferior to anyone else, but there are systems in which a function or an office is superior or inferior to another function or another office because in many instances it's dependent upon, supplementary to a particular office or particular function. Okay? So I must know my sender, I must know myself, and I must know my superior, which implicitly means I must know my system. Pastor Sutton, um powerful powerful reality. Uh, I use Bishop Lambert as an example this morning. I'm going to use you as an example right now. The system called the church, the body of Jesus Christ. One of the ways that a person can learn his assignment is to observe what systems intrigue him or her. What systems does he just eat, drink, breathe, and sleep? If a man or a woman is called of God as a pastor, as a, a minister of the gospel, one of the ways, one of the ways you know it is that he loves the church. I don't just mean he loves the local church he's in. I mean, he just loves the system called the church. He loves the history of the church. He loves the various ideologies of the church. He loves to study um, denominations and, and, and polity in various settings in the church, Uh, He loves to study different personalities in the church and how God has used them. Uh, He loves, she loves the church because that system is a part of his or her assignment. Um, Those of you that are in education, I mentioned that this morning, people who are in education, they love that system. They love talking about different uh, models of pedagogy. They love studying data our data. They love. Um, they love um, dealing with personalities of the children and so forth. Or, or you know, stepping one back, maybe the administrative aspects. But they love that system. What system do you find yourself intrigued by? What system do you? Um, many of you. Many of you enjoy sports. Many of you enjoy sports. But, but there are some people that don't just enjoy sports. But I mean, they are into all of the rankings and. And and again the hierarchy and all the offices and who does what and 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 what time of year things are planned out and um, the salary schedules and all that kind of thing they know all the personalities and all the players and all the owners what system do you find yourself intrigued by those who are intrigued by the body the 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 physiology and the biology uh, the anatomy of the body, how it works, how it fits together. Blood, why do people bleed? Uh, why does bleeding stop after a while? You understand, that's a system. The body is a system that in intrigues. All, all right, all right, uh, Dr. Brown, uh, curriculum. There you go, thank you. That's, that's, that's a system that an individual finds intriguing. The system of the automobile. See, there's some people who couldn't care less. They just wanted to run. But then the other people, they'll have a 30 to an hour hour long conversation about why you're hearing a little clinking underneath your hood. You don't want to know that. You just want to know if they can get rid of it, right? But if you love that kind of system, you understand? There is a system that almost every one of us is intrigued by. I believe. I, I, I suspect all of us, but at least one at least most of us. there's at least one system to which we are drawn. Brother Lee says engineering is that system for him. Anybody else, go ahead and put it in. That's an excellent that's an excellent uh, piece of feedback. What sister Sister Campbell says the body is a system to which she uh, is. Attracted someone else, what, what's the system that that um that is the system that has always intrigued you? You could you could watch documentary after documentary, you could read books about it, um, you could go on field trips about it, all of that kind of thing. What, what's what's your area? Uh, Pastor Thompson said, Fashion, fashion is her the creating fashion, wonderful. Chaplain Richardson says, Healthcare. Brother Oglesby says, "Music, absolutely. Legal systems is a lemon. Yes. Someone else. What? What are some systems that that you find intriguing? Uh, Hairstock, cosmetology, esthetician, absolutely. Education, yes. Cooking, yes. Animal kingdom, wonderful, wonderful. Um, z- zoological kinds of things. Healthcare again. All right. Uh, someone else. You're welcome to insert it." All right, because we'll move on. But but there is a system. Now, in the case of, uh, come on, sir, Brother Allen. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Aviation, uh, Apostle Coleman, wonderful. Elect- electrical, Brother Porsche, wonderful. Wonderful. Finance, Brother Newman. Yes, that's it. That's it. Preservation, Elder Long, Law, uh, Evangelist Lacey graphic design and drawing, Sister Bridges, security and order, uh, Bishop Knight, childcare, Minister Hayes. You understand that? Uh, Human behavior. All of these are systems, all of these are systems that intrigue us. Now, from among those systems, from among those systems, uh, many times we find our, our primary calling.
1: And although we may have
0: interest in lots of different areas, but there's a primary calling, there's a primary uh, uh, system to which we are assigned. All right. Number four, to know my assignment, know my sender, know myself, know my superior, that is my system. Number four, know my skills. John uh, has three premier areas that the scripture reveals to us. He is a prophet. He is a teacher. And um, he is a baptizer. He is a prophet. He is a teacher. And he is a baptizer. He is a prophet because he is foretelling the coming of the Lord and foretelling that the people must repent. He is a prophet. He is a teacher because when they ask him, what shall we do? How shall we demonstrate that we've repented? He gives them instructions. In uh, the, the book of uh, Luke chapter three, then in uh, number three, he is the baptizer. He is John the Baptist, the baptizer. What are your skills that, 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 listen, what is, and you don't have to put in the comments. Just listen to me. What is your gift set? What is your gift set? What are your skills? What are your particular talents? All of that is about knowing your assignment. All of that is about knowing your assignment. If God, I'm going to use a certain level of language. If God gives you a job, he will supply the tools. If God gives you a job, he will supply the tools. And if you go on year after year, after year, after year, claiming a certain job has been given to you by God, but you never have evidence of any of the tools for that job, we have to question whether God really gave you that as an assignment. Competencies. In seed form now. Maybe not the full fleshed out iteration of it, but at least in seed form, competency accompanies calling. Someone has said whom he calls, he qualifies. As long as you understand that qualified doesn't necessarily mean the finished product. Qualified means he gives you the he gives you the capacity for it. Doesn't necessarily mean that he gives you all of the fully refined competencies. You may still have to go to school for it. You will have to be mentored for it, but it means that you have the capacity for it. He's not going to give you a job and not supply any tools. If you don't have any tools, that's not your job. I'm talking about year after year after year. No evidence of tools in that area. You may have missed it. Uh, uh, Proverbs 22 and 6 says train up a child in the way which he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Part of that means point the child in the direction of his or her assignment. Help that child discover his or her assignment in the way in which he should go. That doesn't just mean make him moral. Oh, yes, it does mean make him moral. Teach him right from wrong, good from evil, respect as opposed to disrespect, uh, honor others, and not be selfish. All of those things are definitely a part of train him up or her up. But it's bigger than that. Again, you're preparing him or her for destiny, for destiny. So train him up, train her up in the way which in which he or she should go. Help that child. As a matter of fact, I will tell you, that I believe one of the greatest roles of a pastor, one of the greatest roles of a pastor is to help people on the path of discovery of their God destiny. My responsibility as a pastor, my first responsibility is to guard the flock of God. But my second responsibility is to guide the flock of God, not as the Holy Ghost. He is the guide. He guides through me as well as apart from me. But the guidance that he provides through me is a guidance down the path, the course of an individual's destiny. I am called to help him or her discover God's assignment for him or her, and to be competent to fulfill that assignment. All of us who are pastors, and then all of us who have pastors, must understand that aspect of the role. He or she is not called to be your buddy. Now, he or she may be your buddy, that's fine. But that's secondary or tertiary or somewhere down the list the primary purpose of your pastor is to guard you. That is to teach you truth so you will not fall into error. And then secondly, to guide you. That is to help you find God's plan and purpose for your life. I love Eli in relation to Samuel. I know Eli had some problems. But I love Eli's connection to Samuel in the book of first Samuel chapter three. And it's not about what I love. It's about it being a beautiful story. And the Bible says that the child Samuel. The child Samuel ministered uh, unto the Lord before Eli. He was there as a protege. He was there as an understudy. Okay. Okay. And uh, he's assisting Samuel. But he's getting more out of the deal than Samuel will ever get. Then he's assisting Eli rather, but he's getting more out of the deal than Eli will ever get. And the Bible says that that night God called Samuel. And the scripture says that Samuel went running to Eli and said, you called me. And he said, I call thee not. Go lie down again. This happened for a total of three times. And the Bible says that upon the third time Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. And the scripture says that Eli told Samuel, Go lie down again. And it shall be that if he call you, say, Speak, Lord, my thy servant heareth. Speak, Lord, my thy servant heareth. Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. You see it? And the scripture says the Lord came and stood as at other times and called him Samuel, Samuel. Now, here's what I love to say about that Eli-Samuel connection. Eli did not call Samuel. But Eli taught Samuel how to respond to the call. That's your pastor's assignment. He cannot divinely call you to be anything. She cannot divinely call you to be anything, but he or she can guide you. You see it? Can teach you how to respond to that calling. That's the first piece. And the second is like unto it. (laughs) The second is like unto it. Samuel went running to Eli. It suggests that the voice that Samuel heard sounded to him like Eli. All right. If you have a man or woman of God in your life, serving as a shepherd, serving as a mentor, serving as a tutor, serving as a father or mother in the Lord, Don't be surprised that when the Lord begins to deal with that babe in Christ, that the Lord sounds like your pastor, that the Lord sounds like your spiritual mother or spiritual father or your natural parents if they were also your spiritual parents. For that one who's starting out Many times, and even as they grow, I know in my own life, I can tell you that there are times that God sounds like my pastor. I'm not talking about, uh, I don't mean that. I mean that what I receive from God comes to me in the way that my pastor taught me to hear God. So don't be surprised that if you really have a man or woman of God, that when you begin to hear God, that you hear him the way your pastor hears God. What comes out of you sounds the way that, that it comes out of your man or woman of God. Remember, God sounded like Eli to Samuel. God sounded like Eli to Samuel. He went running to Eli. But as he matures, He'll come to understand that the reason why they sound similar is not because God sounds like Eli, but it's because Eli sounds like God. The reason why God may sound to you like your pastor is not because God sounds like your pastor. It's because your pastor sounds like God. Or whoever your spiritual influence, whoever that teacher is, whoever that person will guide you—that's why that that shepherd. See, this is the beautiful, beautiful part. Uh, uh, another beautiful part about that whole story. Lord, I'm in this story. Jesus, I'm I'm supposed to be talking about uh, John the Baptist, but 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 notice, notice a true Eli. I'm talking about the good side. The true Eli will do what this Eli did when Samuel came running to him and said, you called me, a true Eli will say, I call thee not. In other words, I didn't give you the gift. I didn't give you the anointing. I didn't give you your talents. I called thee not. You don't have a one maker. God made you. He may use me as a hand to shape you, but don't get it twisted. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. I call thee not. You don't belong to me. I'm your steward. I'm your under shepherd, but he's your chief shepherd. I call thee not. You follow? I'm not your God. I belong to your God. I know your God. He's my God as well. And so there are times when you will hear what sounds like me when he speaks, but that's not because he sounds like me. It's because I have the privilege of trying to live so till I sound like him. close enough to him. You know whoever whoever you associate with you begin to sound like. Lord, have mercy. I said whoever it is with whom you associate, you'll eventually begin to sound like. That's why you need to really select who it is that you open your spirit up around because you'll begin to sound like that individual. Yes, you will. <laughs> oh my goodness. Those of you from uh, from the north and the northeast, you might not know this, but those of us from down south know it well, that when our friends and cousins and whomever would go up north f- for a few weeks or a few months in, in the summer, when they'd come back home, they wouldn't sound like us. <laughs> they'd come back home and the dialect and the pronunciation had changed. Because they've been hanging around you northerners (laughs) and you (laughs) northeasterners. And and, and they come back sounding like you because they've been hanging out with you. Well, I need you to understand that with whomever you associate, you'll begin to sound like. Lord, I praise your holy name. I, I really sense the presence of the Lord. I don't want to go all into it, though, because of time. That's right. It's not just true in the natural. It is definitely true in the spiritual. It is true in the spiritual. I love it. It, it, See, that's, that's, that's one of my systems. I love how the anointing of God is transferable. The gifts of God are transferable. Leon Campbell says, we say the same. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And it is true. It is true. It is true that when our Northern and Northeastern cousins came down South to stay with grandma over the summer, (laughs) when they would go back, their friends and and, and associates uh, uh, in the North (laughs) said, what happened to you? What happened to you? You sound country. (laughs) Come on, brother Newman. That's it. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. But it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Uh, the transfer of anointing, the transmission of the grace of God between and among lives. This is McElveen. Don't you give me a lot of commentary now because you know you got a ban. <laughs> you got a ban on certain aspects of social media. <laughs> I don't know who this is. It sounds like I've been hanging around, brother. hanging up. Come on now. All right. All right. But um, you 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 understand what I'm saying there. So, so, what sometimes will happen? What sometimes will happen is that those skills, those skills that you have, they help you to begin to grasp your assignment. Uh, again, John the Baptist is prophet teacher, baptizer. This morning, we got into something that was really powerful, I thought, and I got a great confirmation. Someone called me after the fact. We talked about three Hebrew terms. Uh, I don't know if you can spare, ah oh boy, spare five minutes, three Hebrew terms for prophet. Uh, Nabi, and I'm I'm speaking English, okay? I'm not speaking Hebrew. These terms are, I'm I'm approximating their pronunciation. As far as the spelling, I'm spelling them in English, transliterated from Hebrew. I don't know Hebrew, okay? So the Nabi, N-A-B-I, N-A-B-I, sometimes N-A-B-I-Y, Nabi. Then there is Roeh, R-O-E-H, and then there's Kozeh, C-H-O-Z-E-H. Nabi Roeh Kozeh. Nabi, the term Nabi as relates to Nabi prophet, um, is um. It, it the word Nabi comes from a root that means to bubble forth as a fountain, to bubble forth as a fountain. Okay. Roe, the word Roe means a seer. The word Roe, speaks of visions and so forth. Kose is related closely to Roe, but it means perception, which can come by vision, but could come by other means. The most widely used word in the Old Testament for prophet is Nabi. Okay, Nabi. That is the speaking forth by inspiration, the bubbling forth almost spontaneously, you know, without any processing in, in the mentality. It is straight from spirit to, spe- to speech, almost like speaking with other tongues, straight from spirit to speech. You're not really processing in your head, tongue. I trust we're not making up something and calling it tongue. Nabi. Then, secondly, uh, Roe, the visionary, the, the one who awake are asleep, sees and hears uh, images that God gives to communicate his message. And then thirdly, the Kolze, insight. In other words, I didn't know it five seconds ago, but now I know this thing. I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything. And I'm not bubbling. I just know. And I'm going to speak forth what I know. Three aspects of three dimensions, as it were, of prophetic reality. Here's the thing. All of them are prophets or all of them are prophetic. But if Nabi is your flow, you can't make yourself Roe. If Roe is your flow, you can't make yourself Koze. It is as the spirit wills. The Bible says he divides to every man several as he will. When it comes forth to knowing your assignment, one thing that you can't do is make yourself what someone else is. You should not waste your energy in envy. Do not waste energy on envy because someone else has uh, an administration or a flow that you don't have. Someone else has a function uh, that you don't have. Don't ever waste energy on envy. Say it better. Don't exert energy on envy because whatever God has assigned to you and assigned you to do, the grace upon your life will be adequate and suitable for the fulfillment of that assignment, at least in the phase in which you find yourself. And when God is ready, and if God chooses to bring you into another dimension, he is fully capable of doing so, but he's not obligated to do so. I told the story this morning uh, about a great man of God, Bishop Bill Hammond, a great prophetic patriarch who still is alive in our day. He has mentored many, many, many prophets. And he talks about the fact that in the earliest aspects of his ministry, the Nabi was what he had. He would get it in the spirit and begin to speak words of deliverance over people's lives and words of insight. But he didn't see anything. He He wasn't having visions. And he would hear testimonies by other prophets about how they saw these dramatic things. And he just really wanted that. He prayed about it, fasted about it, and so forth. And it still didn't come to him as he wanted it. It, He said he would have them occasionally, but nowhere near like those who had them consistently. But, 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 But God, the Bible says, sets members in the body as it pleases him. And so one of the things that has to happen with regard to knowing my assignment, know myself, know my sender, know myself, know my superior, my system, know my skills, is that you don't want to exert energy on envy because someone else's skill set is not yours. Someone else's gift set is not yours. If you will focus on optimizing who God has made you and what God has given you, you'll find yourself satisfied and gratified. And if God desires to give you the other, he's a gracious, loving, generous father. He'll do it if that is his will. Lord, teach me my assignment. I want to thank you for your time, brothers and sisters, as we depart from this uh, time of sharing. If you have been blessed, please make sure you share this replay with others and invite others to the live when we come together. And until we meet again, uh, this is Michael Blue of the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, encouraging you to go forth today and lead. Make the name of Jesus Christ glorious. Make the career of Satan brief and miserable. Together, let us bring pleasure to Christ's heart and fame to his name. Until we meet again at the appointed time, may the peace of God go with you. Thank you for listening to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, FKP, the podcast. If you'd like more engagement, click the link in the show notes to join like-minded professionals in the FKP Facebook group. Follow us at Bishop M.A. Blue on all platforms. Also join the FKP Weekly Conversation live every Monday at 11.30 a.m. Eastern on Facebook Live and on YouTube. Finally, be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. May God bless you until we meet again.